Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. It's a delight to have Dr. Drew DiNardo with us tonight. Uh, If you've been with us for these Lent series over the years, you know it's one of our joys to have fellow pastors from our presbytery come for several of the weeks. And uh, Drew is uh, the still fairly new pastor over at St. Stephen's uh, Reformed Church in New Holland. And uh, he and his wife, Christy, moved up here uh, last year. I think his daughter, Andrea, is here as well. Uh, But we're delighted to have him in the pulpit. He's someone who has uh, a number of touch points with uh, people in our congregation. It was uh, Dr. Steve Nichols, who's a name we know well, who I think was a key recommending him for the position, was at 10th Presbyterian for a few years. So we're thankful to have him here and welcome him to preach God's Word. Well, it is a joy to join you as we contemplate and consider and prepare our hearts for our Lord's death and resurrection. This eve we'll be looking at Psalm 34, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Psalm 34. I'll only be reading verses 11 and 18, however, we'll spend some time looking um, at the earlier verses as well. And let me say uh, thank you to Pastor Walker for having me. It surely is a privilege to preach the Word. Well, hear now the Word of the Lord, beginning in verse 11. O come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, for this psalm that we can praise you for, for these truths. And we pray, Lord, that you would imprint them on our heart. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you know, as you've gone through this Lenten season, uh, many years, and this year as well, it's a time of repentance. It's often a time of fasting for people. It should always be a, a time of prayer. And it also is a time of reflection, and that's what we're doing, where we slow down our pace, as it were, and consider the death and the resurrection of Christ. And during this time of reflection and consideration, it's fitting that we would turn here to Psalm 34. One reason is that the prophecy of verse 20, we didn't read that, but the prophecy there is fulfilled on the cross. All his bones, not one of them, is broken. John tells us these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And so that's reason enough for us to reflect here on this psalm, to meditate upon it. However, more to the purpose of this message this evening, there's another reason for us to study Psalm 34 during Lent. Remember I said just a second ago that Lent is a time of reflection, uh, to slow down, to reflect. And that's what we find here in Psalm 34. Uh, David, uh, King David, is reflecting on what many would say was one of the most embarrassing 
and awkward and low moments in his life. If you read the inscription, it reads, Psalm 34 of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. It could read also Achish. Abimelech may have been a name given to all the kings at a time, but it reads, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now that event is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David was fleeing from his great enemy, King Saul, and his circumstances seemed to be so desperate that he left his own land and he went to the Philistines to seek asylum with Achish, the king of Gath. Now, one writer explains David must have felt extremely desperate to do this. Why? Why would he do that? Well, because Gath had been the home of Goliath. You know him. David had killed just years before. And just before getting to Gath and going to Gath, David had received Goliath's sword from one of the priests of Nob. And the very sight of that sword must have been an offense to the Philistines. But here he is. He goes there. And in addition, David seems to be in danger. And because the story says that he was so much afraid of Achish that he pretended to be a madman in his presence, he made meaningless marks on the gates of the city, letting the saliva run down his beard. Well, Achish took that for face value. He assumed he wasn't faking it. And instead of arresting and killing David, he simply drove him away. Well, I think it's safe to say this was a sad episode in David's life. He obviously had failed to trust God to protect him from Saul, and he was relying on his own wit. He was relying on his own cunning to get out of this desperate situation. And it would be funny if it wasn't so wrongheaded and how quickly when things are going bad, when we seem surrounded on all sides, as David did, that we try to take matters into our own hands as well. That's what David does here. However, that's not all he does. He also, we're told, cried out for help and was delivered. In First Samuel, we're told that he escaped from Gath and he, he fled to the ca- a cave uh, where it's most likely that he wrote this psalm. And that situation that he was in and, and David's escape after all he's been through, all he's suffered, after all the fear, as verse 4 says, and all the trouble, verse 6 says, he begins to reflect on this moment in his life. And what he does is praise God and he calls upon us to do the same. Verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. Uh, verse 8, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 9, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And then after bearing testimony to God's goodness and, and calling upon us to do the same, David the poet becomes David the preacher. Uh, David the king becomes David the teacher. Look at verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. In verse 7, David stated that the Lord encamps around and delivers those who fear Him. And in verse 9, he calls us to fear the Lord, promising that those who fear the Lord have no lack. And now in verse 11, the king 
He takes the posture of a father. And what, the image here is of him summoning his children to sit at his feet so he can teach them how to cultivate this attitude of the fear of the Lord. And how he does it, he begins with a question. Verse 12, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? David wants you to think. He, he, he's provoking you to think. He's encouraging you to pay attention. Why? Because we all love life enough that we desire to see good days. Nobody here got up this morning and saying, I really hope today is terrible. I, I, I want it to be a mess. And we want it to be good. We want to see good days. So how? How do we see them? How do we make that a reality? Which brings us to the heart of our passage. You know, we often hear when we talk about the fear of the Lord that it means reverence for God, and that is true. It's not a crippling fear. It's a, a worshipful attitude to be in awe of God. But here David is going to define it a little differently. Here he defines it not by an attitude. He, he defines it not by an emotion, but by action. Look at verses 13 and 14. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You want to learn the fear of the Lord? David says, have honest speech. Tell the truth. He says, separate from evil. To know the fear of the Lord is to separate ourselves from those things, whatever it is that may destroy our communion with God. Separate from that. He says, do good. The idea is here, keep and do the commandments of our God. And then he says, promote good relationships. Seek peace with others. And so, yes, the fear of the Lord is an attitude of all. It's, it's an attitude of, of reverence. But at the same time, the fear of the Lord is to take action to live a godly life. It, it, it's doing right. It's, it's being obedient. In fact, the Apostle Peter uh, quotes these verses in order to describe the essentials of a, a moral, godly life. In, in 1 Peter 3, we read, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing." And then what Peter does after saying that, he, he quotes Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. And so that is what Psalm 34 verses 11 to 18 is teaching. It's the basis of a righteous life, how, how, to, how to live righteously before our God. And, and I want you to notice something here. I want you to uh, reflect on this. I want you to notice how ordinary these actions are. He, he's not describing for you some super spiritual, super brave activity, as if the fear of the Lord in this sense is giving up everything and going to preach the gospel in some foreign land maybe with the real possibility of life-threatening persecution. Well, of course, we must be open to that. He may be leading you to that. Of course, he, it may include that. No, we are to deny ourselves. 
and take up our cross. But see, what he's describing here, what he's recommending to us here is unassuming. It's not radical Christianity as some like to define it and describe it. It's not risky, life-altering behavior, although in one sense, I guess it is. It's simply this. You want to live godly before your God? Be honest. Don't be deceptive. Avoid evil. Be friendly. Don't be contentious. Cultivate peace. That's the call to the moral life. That's the foundation of righteous living. Of course, there's much, much more than that. But these simple truths are part of it. And so during Lent, as you're reflecting while you're praying, maybe you are fasting, reflect on these virtues. And where you notice that they are lacking, repent, which Lent calls us to do. Repent so that you may see them cultivated in your life. Well, King David, after taking the role of a teacher and summoning his children before him, he's not content with just calling us to obedience. He wants to motivate us now. He, He wants to encourage us. And he does that by reminding us that those who live in this way, based on what I just said, being honest and being friendly, avoiding evil, all those virtues, he reminds us that we are owned by God when we live this way, and the righteous are assured of God's personal attention. His personal attention. Look at verses 15 and 18. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God is with us. God Himself, Almighty God hears us. See, these are the most comforting words of the psalm. Think of where David is when he wrote this. Think of what he was going through. If you look at verse 6, he says, he is the poor man. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. It wasn't out of his own strength that he cried out to God. It was in his very weakness. He was at his wit's end. Achish, as it were, was on his left and King Saul on his right, and they were closing in. He was stuck between a rock and a hard place. So what does he do? He he cries out to God. This poor man cries, David says. He cries. And the gist of his cry, what he cried, the gist of it is found in the psalm. Think about it. If we walk through the psalm, David cried out that God is awesome. So we see in verses 1 to 3, He cried out that God is able to rescue. That's what we find in verses 4 to 7. He cried out that God is good in verses 8 to 10. He cried out that God's way, the ways of God are always effective. The ways of God are always helpful. They always work. We see in verses 11 to 14. And he cried out that God hears the cry of of those who need him. That's in verses 15 18. And so the psalm in this situation for David is really a psalm for you. 
It's a psalm for the everyday, ordinary Christian. Why? We all face difficulties. We all face tough circumstances. Here's the truth. As surely as God promises to bless us spiritually and save us out of our troubles, as the psalm says, we can be just assured of this, that we will face trouble that we will suffer in this sinful world. There will be many bad days in human terms. And yet the promises of God still stand. And so if you're here this evening and you feel like the poor man, um, that you, you feel like that you're the one struggling, well, this psalm's especially for you. If you're here and you say, well, I, I, I feel isolated. I feel alone. I, I don't know where to... The turn. I feel oppressed on all sides. If you're here and you feel like there's no hope, maybe, and or that the weight of this evil world is kind of pressing down upon you, and you don't know where to turn, and you're struggling. If you're here and you you feel stuck in your spiritual life or just in life in general, if you're at the lowest point that you have ever been, that's where David was. That's where David was when he. When God heard him cry out, and God rescued him. And see, God promises, as David makes clear, that he will hear your cry as well. God hears you. That's the promise. And he draws especially near to comfort and to console and to embrace the brokenhearted. To those who think maybe... You know, God's close to King David. He's King David. He's close to maybe some others. He always seems far away from me. Oh, that is a lie from Satan. And you need to know it. He is very near. He's simply one cry away. One cry away. One prayer away. He draws near to comfort. He, he, draw near, he draws near to console. He draws near to the crushed in spirit, we're told. Think about it. One writer said, consider that the trials and troubles, the calamities and the miseries, the crosses and losses that you meet with in this world are all the hell that you shall ever have. They're just in this world. And we know this to be true. We know that God hears our prayers. We know that He cares. We know that He draws near because God sent forth His Son, heaven's richest treasure. Why? To be pierced for our transgressions and to be crushed for our iniquities. We may feel like we're being crushed, but Christ was crushed for us. Beloved, understand, no matter what we face in this world, His name is Jesus. God saves. No matter what we face, He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is our righteousness. He is our peace. When we are foolish, He is our wisdom. When we act evil, He is our holiness. When we are weak, He is our strength. When we are in bondage to some sin or or, are trapped with our way of thinking, He is our redemption. When we are lost, He is our salvation. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Nothing will ever separate us from His love. He lives, we're told, to intercede for us. And so this Lenten season, let Psalm 34 guide your meditation. Take time with it. 
as you reflect on your life, cry out to God. Cry out to God that He is awesome like David. Cry out in praise that He is able to rescue. Cry out that He is good. Cry out to Him and thank Him that His ways are right and His ways are true and His ways are always helpful. Cry out in praise that He hears your prayers and He draws near to you to comfort you and care for you. Cry out to God. As David said, magnify the Lord. Exalt His name. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Fear the Lord, beloved. For those who fear Him will suffer no loss and will have no lack. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this short meditation, there are so many truths for us to ponder, to reflect upon, so many uh, uh, virtues that You call upon us to, to see cultivated in our life. And yet, Lord, we cling to this one promise that You are near to us and that You hear our cries. We cry out to You now, Lord. We ask You to be with us. Enable us by Your Spirit to live a moral life, to live to Your glory, to desire to praise You all the days of our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.